Well, good morning. Know my name already? I'm Chris. Um, good to be with you again, uh, getting to open up this excellent passage. I hope everyone was listening to that kids' talk because I was going to do a bit of a recap because we're up to Act 3. Um, so if you're joining us for the first time, this is Act 3 in this true story, this true historic account of these women's lives. But as Graham's already done it, I don't need to do it again. So let's start with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word is good. It comes straight from you, Lord, and uh, we get to hear you speak to us. But Lord, as we come to your word, we acknowledge that we need your help to hear it clearly. Father, we need you. We pray as we come this morning that you'll open our eyes and our ears and our hearts that we may behold marvelous things in your word. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you do have a Bible there, um, it will be helpful. Just grab it. Um, it's on page 211 in those red Bibles. It'll help you follow along with where we're up to in the story. So the red Bible's page 211. On the outside, Sam appears to be doing okay, despite the recent and sudden tra tragic passing of her husband. She appears to be moving forward. She's still getting her three kids to school every day. She's still going to work. There's dinner on the table every night. Sam is even making it to church most of the time. Sam, though, is not okay. This is not the life she'd envisioned for herself and her family. She was supposed to be in her prime. She was supposed to, she was young, she was successful. But here Sam is, alone and disenchanted. She feels like she's just going through the motions. She used to be excited about what the future had in store for her and her family. Now, she can't really even imagine a future at all. At least, not one with her in it. Sam doesn't want to feel like this. She remembers when she had hopes for the future. But now, she just doesn't know how to move forward. Sam represents many people, including Christians, grappling with the hand they've been dealt in this life. Any life circumstance where we feel like we've lost something or things have fallen short of what we expected can leave us with this sense of hopelessness. But if we're Christians, we don't have to stay there. We've been spending the last few weeks looking at the book of Ruth, and last week in Ruth 2, we were reminded that we can trust God in all our circumstances because he's sovereign and he's kind. And we, begin, and we saw Naomi begin to hope again as she placed her trust in God. Naomi could see light at the end of the tunnel as she was reminded of God's kindness through Boaz. This week in Ruth 3, we're going to see that as followers of Jesus, we can continue to move forward, even through trials, because God's sovereignty gives us hope. And as we dig into that idea, verses 1 to 6 show us 
that because God is sovereign, we can make plans. Now, this chapter starts in a little bit of a contrast to chapter 2. In chapter 2, it was Ruth who took the initiative. In chapter 3, it's Naomi. In chapter 2, Ruth was essentially saying, Mum, are you going to be all right if I go out and find us some food? And Naomi sort of just goes along with it. In chapter 3, Naomi has woken up. She's the one moving things forward. She's taking matters into her own hands. She says to Ruth in verse 1, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Naomi is concerned for Ruth's future, so she comes up with a plan to get Ruth and Boaz together. Now, Naomi's plan to us might seem a little bit sketchy, a little bit suspicious maybe. Ruth's to get all dolled up. Uh, She's to go down to the threshing floor where there's going to be a whole heap of men who are going to be high in spirits. She's to wait until Boaz has had a big feed and has fallen asleep. Then in the middle of the night, she's to go uncover his feet and lie down. What's going on? Is this a plan to seduce Boaz? Is Naomi scheming some sort of entrapment, deliberately dangling Ruth out like a bit of bait? It seems pretty unlikely in light of what we already know about these people so far from the story. Boaz and Ruth have been held up as people of noble character. So Ruth, even with her love for Naomi, isn't someone who's going to go do something so immoral, even for a mother-in-law. Even if seduction was the plan, a godly man like Boaz isn't going to fall for it. He's already gone to great lengths to make sure that Ruth isn't taken advantage of. Why would that change now? And then there's Naomi. She herself said her concern is that that Ruth be taken care of. If the plan's seduction, would that not fly in the face of Naomi's concern for Ruth? So if the plan's not seduction or entrapment, what is it? The plan is marriage. The plan is to clearly signal to Boaz that Ruth would like him to marry her. Ruth's time of mourning's now over, hence her washing and perfuming and dressing up. She comes in the middle of the night so that her reputation might, not, might be preserved in case Boaz rejects the proposal. She uncovers his feet and lies down under his garment, taking the position reserved for a wife. This is an act of submission, not scandal. Ruth is saying symbolically to Boaz, redeem me, make me your wife. Ruth understands exactly what Naomi's plan is, is all about. So she says in verse 5, I'll do whatever you say. So Naomi's come up with this elaborate plan for the redemption of her daughter-in-law. What's changed for this Naomi from chapter 2, who was just going along with things, to Naomi in chapter 3? 
Well, as we saw last week, Naomi's been reminded of the sovereignty and kindness of God, and it motivates her to make plans for the future. The knowledge that God has not turned against her, but is working his plan for her good and the good of her daughter-in-law, Ruth, spurs Naomi on. Now, that may seem counterintuitive to some of us. If God's sovereign, why should we bother making plans for the future? He's going to do what he's going to do anyway. We make plans. We can take initiative because we are certain that God is working out a good plan and that God is for us. If God was against us, we wouldn't bother. He's just going to foil any action we take anyway. But if God is for us, he may just prosper our plans that are good and accord with his plans. Naomi sees that here. She sees that God has brought Ruth and Boaz together. And she knows from the law that God cares about widows and the perpetuation of family names. So she puts a plan in place, trusting that it accords with what God is working in the situation. Even more, Naomi recognizes that God's plans often come to pass through ordinary people like Boaz. If God's plan is to redeem and restore Naomi and Ruth, Naomi can see that it's likely to happen through Boaz. She's not naive. She knows it's unlikely that she's going to go to bed one night and just wake up and everything's going to be fixed and back to the way it was. That's not how things work. She recognizes that God graciously uses people to achieve his purposes. Because God is sovereign, we can make plans for the future. Because God is, God is for us, if we believe in Jesus, we have motivation to keep moving forward. God is not finished with us. No matter what your life circumstance currently is, your life still has purpose. God is still working for your good and for the good of his people. The really helpful thing to notice in these verses is who Naomi is primarily concerned for. She's not primarily concerned for herself, but for Ruth. I think that's helpful because sometimes when we experience loss, we really struggle to make plans for the future because we just can't simply imagine a future for ourselves. It's often not because we don't want to, we just can't. What we can do is imagine a future for others and how we might help that come about. What could I do for my mum now that my dad's passed away? What does she need? How can I serve her? Would it be helpful if she came and lived with me? 
What can I do for that single dad I know whose, whose business is failing? How can I help relieve some of that pressure? Is there something I can do to help him with his kids? Is there any way I can help that family who's, who's just moved here from overseas and isn't really fitting in? Is there any way I can plug them into my family and my community so that they can build some more relationships? The things we come up with need not be as grand as Naomi's plan for Ruth. But if we believe that God is sovereign and kind and that he can still use us even through this, we're set free to serve others even if we can't currently see a future for ourselves. So because God is sovereign, we can make plans, verses 1 to 6. And because God is sovereign, we can be bold, verses 7 to 9. It's Ruth now who again becomes the focus in verses 7 to 9 as she puts Naomi's plan into action. She watches where Boaz lies down, just like her mother-in-law told her to do. She sneaks over in the middle of the night, just like her mother-in-law told her to. She uncovers Boaz's feet and she lies down, just like her mother-in-law told her to do. But then she does something her mother-in-law didn't tell her to do. She speaks. Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night and he finds Ruth at his feet. Ruth was told at this point she was to listen. Boaz would tell her what to do. But instead, she goes off script. She says in verse 9, I am your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Basically, it's a proposal. She was supposed to symbolically indicate that she wanted to get married and presumably Boaz would then propose. Instead, Ruth just comes right out and says it. Because you're my guardian redeemer, that is, a member of my family with the right and responsibility to, to take care of me, take care of your responsibility on behalf of my dead husband. Protect me. Look after me. Marry me. That's taking a risk. That's confidence. That's courage in any culture, isn't it? She's a lowly, widowed foreigner. She's weak. She's vulnerable. She's coming to this wealthy, powerful man in the middle of the night who really can do whatever he likes to her, and she asks him to marry her. That's pretty bold. But Ruth takes this risk because, like Naomi, she recognizes the sovereignty of God. She sees God's hand in her life. She sees that God has put her in the path of her guardian redeemer. And she anticipates where it's leading. Ruth remembers Boaz's prayer from chapter 2, verse 12, where Boaz had prayed, May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. It seems to Ruth that God's doing exactly what Boaz had asked. So she asked Boaz to fulfill his own prayer, to take responsibility for its happening. Boaz covering Ruth with the corner of his garment in marriage is to be God taking Ruth under his wing. Ruth can ask so boldly, 
because she trusts that this is God's purpose in bringing them together. Ruth's been alert to what God's up to. She's recognized her situation has afforded her an opportunity to speak boldly, and she's taken it. Does our situation afford us any opportunities? I know a Christian man whose wife passed away not so long ago. And this man has shared with me that he's in that position of just not being able to picture a future for himself without his wife. But what he's recognized is that he's encountering lots and lots of people, especially people who aren't, who aren't Christians, who are grieving just like he is. And he's realized he has this opportunity to grieve with them. He gets it. But he's also recognized that he has an opportunity to share the hope he has in Jesus. These people recognize there's something different about this man. He grieves with hope, which is totally unique to Christians. He grieves with hope because he knows he has a saviour who loves him and trusts that saviour is doing what's best according to his purposes. Though this man would never have chosen this path for himself, God is a good God who loves him. God can be trusted. At very least... Hardship and trials afford Christians the opportunity to suffer well, to suffer with hope. Because it's when we should have no hope left that our hope shines the brightest. How do we do that? How do we suffer with hope? We can suffer well by speaking about our pain, by openly expressing our hurt. That doesn't dishonor God. It shows that we trust him, even with our pain. People need to see that pain's real and it's okay. We don't have to pretend we understand everything when we don't. It honors God to trust him, even with our pain. We can suffer well by speaking bravely, boldly about the hope that we have in Jesus. Though we don't always know exactly what God is doing, we trust because of Jesus Pause for tension. We trust because of Jesus that he hasn't abandoned us and he's doing something good and purposeful. Not because the situation's good, but because God is good. Because God is sovereign, we can speak boldly about the hope we have in Jesus. There's one more part to this puzzle, and it pops up in verses 10 to 18. Because God is sovereign, 
we respond to what he is doing. Boaz says something really interesting in verse 10. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you have shown earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Boaz is saying that this proposal that Ruth has just made demonstrates even greater kindness than the kindness she'd shown by sticking with Naomi after the death of their husbands. How so? Boaz sees that in this proposal, Ruth's concern isn't just for herself. She's not doing what's best for her. If Ruth were concerned just for herself, she'd go over after a younger man. But Ruth is going after an old man because Ruth's concern is for Naomi and her family, for Elimelech and Marlon and, and their family name and property. She knows Boaz is the best match for her and for Naomi and for her family. It's extraordinary kindness. And it attracts Boaz. So Boaz promises to make sure that Ruth is looked after. Now, Boaz would love to be the one who takes on this responsibility of guardian redeemer for Ruth. But there's a barrier. There's another guardian redeemer who is more closely related than Boaz. According to the law, this other redeemer has the right of first refusal within the family. Because God is sovereign, Boaz is going to respond to what God is doing. He's going to knock on the door. And if the door opens, Boaz is going to step through. If it closes, he'll step away. He'd love to be the guardian redeemer. But if that's not God's plan, Boaz will willingly accept that, trusting that God has a better plan and that he's still going to look after Ruth and Naomi. We see something similar in verse 18 in what Naomi says to Ruth. They've put this plan in action, which they believe accords with, with what God's up to, not only because the circumstances seem to indicate it, but because they know God's law and they know this fits with what God cares about. But even so, Naomi tells Ruth she must wait to find out what happens. Ultimately, whether or not they're taken care of by Boaz is in the hands of God. Because God is sovereign, they need to respond to what God reveals. They'd love it to be Boaz, but if that door closes, they'll still trust God. What that means for us is, though God's Sovereignty gives us confidence to make plans and encourages us to be bold. It's still God who's sovereign and not us. It's his plans that are going to come to pass and not ours. We keep our eyes open for what he's up to. We knock on the doors. We try to make the most of the opportunities he presents and, and act in accordance with what he's shown us in the Bible. But ultimately, we have to submit to him. If he chooses to open a door, we'll step through. If a door that was open closes, we'll step away. 
That means we can't hold our own plans too tightly. We plan humbly knowing that God ultimately knows better than we do. We plan according to God's priorities, not our own. That's what Naomi did. She could plan for Ruth's future through Boaz because she knew that Boaz was a guardian redeemer. And she knew from God's law that God was concerned for widows and the perpetuation of family names. Maybe a helpful question for us to ask, both individually and and as a church, as we make bold plans for the future, is are those plans in accordance with what God's revealed in his word, the Bible? Am I focusing on what's going to be best for me or on God and his kingdom? Are the plans I'm making using the resources God has given me to help others follow Jesus? Are my plans ultimately self-serving? Or am I focused on serving others, loving my neighbor, even when it hurts? Because God is sovereign, we can make plans with confidence. Because God is sovereign, we can act and speak boldly for him. But because God is sovereign, we also willingly submit to him. His plans are better than mine. They're going to work out way better than anything I could come up with. Because God is sovereign, we can continue to move forward in faith, acting in love, even when it hurts. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's such good news to know that you're a sovereign and good, kind God. Lord, it's so um, encouraging and motivating to know that we can act trusting you. But Lord, we pray that you will teach us to trust you and more and more act um, according to what you've revealed in your word. Lord, transform us, renew us, give us eyes to see what you're up to in your world. And Lord, help us to willingly submit to you at all times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.